um, and as well for ourselves as we just dive into God's word together. God, I got to confess that as human beings, every single one of us are prone to fear. We're driven by it. Um, it's what makes us do great things. That's what makes us run. That's what makes us feel shameful. Some good things can come from fear or, or we wouldn't do it. But God, your word proclaims to us that none of that fear actually comes from you. What you strive to instill in us as we have a relationship with you is great hope and great power and great trust to not be driven by the fear that may be drummed up around us. God, help our hearts internalize information and filter it through who you are. And God, as you call us to pray, your word is littered with the call for us to lean on you, to beg you for things, not knowing how you receive it and what you're going to be doing. We just ask for your will to be done, but because we want to be obedient, God, I want to pray for um, our, our world today as people on the other side of the world are hurting because of this situation, as well as for ourselves uh, as we fear what retribution may come. I pray that you would be in the center of it all, make sense of the things that sinful humans do on all sides, and bring glory to your name, because, that's, God, that's what you're good at. Bring glory to your name this morning. And for us, as we dive into your word, we hope that you would speak to us. We need you to speak to us and challenge us to live for your name's sake. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We started at the beginning of this last fall walking through the book of Exodus. If you've looked at the book of Exodus, it's a fairly long book, and, um, and we didn't make it all the way through. Um, actually, we intentionally got through the Advent season to where in the book of Exodus, we are looking at the Israelites at the base of Mount Sinai where God just gave the Ten Commandments. In the midst of this series, we intentionally told ourselves that we're going to take a break once January comes to talk about something that we feel as a church that we really want to grow in as we continue to pursue him. So we're going to spend six weeks. Uh, last week, we started this series called Light, uh, That You Are the Light of the World. Uh, we started that last week. We're going to walk six weeks total in this series, and then we're going to jump back into Exodus and finish it out as the year continues on. But... Um, yeah, diving into this series that we started this last week, um, again, we're, we're taking the, the words that Jesus said to his disciples in one of his most popular sermons that he ever gave on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. He was speaking to his disciples, and he tells them that you are the light of the world. I mean, he's implying because of who he is and what he is about to do, and the, the one that they put on display and the one that they reflect that as they go out into the world, that they are the light to the world. And he also tells them that you are a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. Jesus is charging us with these very same words as he calls us to live lives that reflect him. Last week, we started this series um, anchoring in 1 Peter. We're going to continue in 1 Peter today. 
And last week, what we looked at was um, the importance of our identity to be found in the hope of who Jesus is. If we're ever going to live for the world, if we ever want to speak of the name of Jesus, if we ever want to lead someone to um, a saving faith in Christ, we must first have confidence in who we are, know who we are as exiles. Peter in First uh, Peter chapter 1, in the very first verse, he calls us as followers of Jesus exiles living in a land that's not our home. And so we need to know that's who we are. That's, that's where we live. This is not our place. We're actually wandering around like exiles in, in a land that, that knows nothing or that does not follow Jesus. And as we're walking around in this land, we need to know who we are. We need to know our identity. We need to know of the hope of who Jesus is in our lives so that we can have confidence as we are in relationship with people who don't know Jesus all day and every day, right? story for you or a question have you ever thought about becoming a missionary no not me <laughs> i'll be happy to send money to be able to, to send someone off or maybe some of us in this room actually have thought about becoming missionaries at, at one point in time in our life like missionaries the way that we normally think about it are people who um who the church somehow um through lots of different means is um be, uh, is able to identify and be able to support and be able to financially send to somewhere else in the world so that that person can um, speak the name of Jesus to a place that probably doesn't hear the name of Jesus very much. I mean, that's what a missionary is. Have you ever thought about becoming one of those missionaries? I'll never forget as a kid growing up, um, I grew up in the church and my, I have two older sisters who are three and four years older than me. They were part of the youth ministry whenever I wasn't part of the youth ministry yet. And every single summer they would go on a mission trip to Mexico. So I was growing up in Texas and it was just easy to get to Mexico. And every summer they went on a mission trip. They did summer camp in the summertime and a mission trip. And I couldn't wait till I could do those two things. But there was something very intriguing to me about this idea of going on a mission trip to Mexico. Well, I entered into seventh grade and I got to go on my very first Mexico mission trip experience. And, and I'm going to be honest, it, it changed my life. I, I remember my very first trip and I went on the very same trip all six years going up seventh to 12th grade. And it was eye-opening in all the right ways. God did crazy things in my heart and in my mind when it came to that experience. After I graduated high school, I went to a college in East Texas, became part of um, an on-campus ministry called the Baptist Student Union. And um, as, as we built relationships with the people in that ministry, what I discovered is what was normal in the summertime is for my friends to go on summer-long mission trips. So this was different than my experience where we were gone for seven to 10 days. My friends would actually commit to go to places like Vietnam, places like um, Australia, um, places in Europe, up. And they would even go to, to local encampments in, in Texas to be able to serve kids and families throughout the summer. They'd give all their summer to go be a missionary across the world. And a few years in, I had my opportunity. Me and my three friends decided we're going to do this thing too. 
And instead of going overseas, actually, I, me and my friends uh, joined this revival, uh, this youth revival team, where uh, these Texas boys were sent to the um, state of Washington, where we traveled around uh, all the state of Washington all summer long, every week at a different location, doing these youth revivals where we were connecting with youth and, and the parents of, of these youth. And in a lot of ways, I think it's actually the main reason why I live in the Northwest today. How God brought me from Texas to the Northwest was that mission trip experience. All of this combined, I mean, God started awakening my heart to becoming a missionary, question mark. Like, am I I supposed to be a missionary? Could I do this? As I got older, graduated college, well, Let's be honest, I didn't graduate at that time, but I ended up getting married, um, graduated college later, but got married, started a family, and um, my wife and I in 2010, after the earthquake hit in, in Haiti, we, um, we were having conversations with an organization about moving to Haiti. Um, I don't know if my kids are even aware that they could be living in Haiti right now if that was not a decision that, 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 that God <laughs> led us away from. Yeah. Um, like it... It, it, it was real. This, this whole idea of becoming a missionary was something that we really wrestled through. Have you ever thought about becoming a missionary? Missionaries start with a passion for Jesus. There are people who love Jesus, that God's doing something in their hearts, and this idea of wanting to go make Jesus known to people who may not have access to Jesus, that is the place where, where, where this idea begins. Secondly, whenever someone starts this journey becoming a missionary, they begin to ass- assess their gifts that they have, and they begin praying that God would open a door and give them a passion for a people group or direction or just send me somewhere. And as they start wrestling through that, as God starts opening doors, then one of the, the last things that they do is they get connected with an organization or a group of people that they trust to send them and be their accountability as they, as they go out to an area with purpose to be a missionary. Being a missionary in a foreign land is actually one of the most difficult works, I would argue. It's not as simple as just wanting to go, to find someone to pay for you to go, and just go to a land to start talking about Jesus. I mean, it sounds so simple because in some ways that's exactly what it is, but it's so much more complex than that. Check this out. When you go to a foreign area, you are dropped off in a foreign land, not knowing anyone, not knowing the language, and unfamiliar with the culture and the people, and you land in this place. And the most successful missionaries are the ones who spend time and spend hard dedication to years of learning the language, building relationships, and learning culture around them. Integrating into the culture the people that you're serving is the most important strategy if you want people to hear what you have to say about Jesus. If you're not careful, you can shut down your witness of Jesus before you ever begin if you don't respect the people, the language, the culture. If you're just someone from the West coming over to a different area asking them to be like you. I'm not, I don't care the way you live. I'm just coming to tell you about Jesus. It doesn't matter to me. There are going to be automatic road barriers and roadblocks for any missionary who has that strategy. You can disrespect someone in ways that you never intended. <laughs> I looked this up this week. I knew about a few of these, but, but 
offensive things that happen across the, on other sides of the world. Did you know that if you give someone a thumbs up in parts of the Middle East, as well as in West Africa and some parts of Asia, that's actually like giving them the middle finger? Right? So you want to know that if you're going to go somewhere and someone's like, hey, how's it going? You're like, what's up, man? You know, that, that is going to break your witness super fast, right? Learn these things as you go. In many indigenous places, they think using your left hand for anything is offensive. I had to all my left-handed friends out there, you're like, what? Well, so in these rural areas, they don't have toilet paper. They use what they got. So if you were to shake a left hand, it's, it's absolutely offensive. It's good to know. When I went to China um, early on in, in my ministry area, I, I learned that finishing your plate of food was offensive because it means that the person who is serving you didn't give you enough. And they were offended if, if I left anything on the plate. My mom always taught me, do not leave anything on the plate, especially if it's green. You better eat it, right? <laughs> so, so we're taught these things, and they're ingrained in who we are. But if you go into another, another, another land, it could be extremely offensive. Um, lastly, when I go to places like Haiti, our casual clothes are against their culture, and it makes us look lazy. If you were to come off as a missionary out of the airport wearing shorts and a t-shirt because it's 97 degrees outside and you're traveling in a, in a, in a car that doesn't have very good air conditioning at all, of course you're going to plan for that. But what you may not realize is your attire, the clothes that you choose to wear, could absolutely be offensive. It doesn't reflect the culture of the people around you. If you want to earn the respect of people living in a foreign land, it's important that you learn what's offensive and adapt to their culture because more importantly than you being right and why you did what you did or why you're doing what you're doing, more important than that, you want people to be able to see Jesus in you before you ever talk about Jesus. So the way that we live is super important. Why do I just spend all that time talking about that? Because as followers of Jesus, if you're in this room and you're calling yourself a follower of Jesus, you are a missionary for his name's sake, wherever it is that he has you. If we want to be Jesus followers that make an impact for his name's sake, we must learn the language. I'm not saying go to English classes. I'm saying what in the world are people talking about around us? And how do we not just automatically offend with the way and the things that we say and shut down and create an us-them culture that just makes us go in two different directions? If we're really wanting to make an impact for the name of Jesus, if us not being right is, um, if that's not primary, then what is? It's them seeing who Jesus is through who you are and through the way that you choose to live and what you choose to say. We must let people see Jesus in us before we ever talk. And we have one message that we want to communicate to the world around us as we live. That message is that Jesus is more beautiful than anything else in this world. I was praying with some friends this morning and this confession came up and it resonated with me and then it came up with some others. So I'm thinking that this is something that maybe we can all 
kind of come together on is that we are a people who love to debate. We are a people who love to argue. I'm going to say that most personality types, depending on where you land on a personality trend, um, we love being right. We love winning that conversation. And there are many times in our American culture, that's what we focus on, and for some good intentions. But the reality is, is we lose sight of wanting people to see Jesus in us over the fact that we just want to be right in what someone says as we argue and debate of what political thing is right or what social thing is right and how God thinks about this and how God thinks about that. We've just created a massive barrier for them to jump into whenever we're just asking them to surrender their lives to love Jesus. I'm not saying those things are unimportant, but have we created a barrier with the things that we say? when maybe the most important thing for us to strive for as we are missionaries in the world that God has put you in, no matter if it's in your home or if it's at your workplace or in your neighborhood, wherever that world is, this is what I want us to get today as we spend our time in First Peter, is that we need to respect others. What we do actually matters. Do people see Jesus in you? If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. And in a few minutes, we're going to dive in to, to see four things that, that he has for us here. So Peter's going to talk about four relationships that are foundational for us to have respect in even whenever um, those areas of leadership over us or people of authority over us may seek to put you down for one reason or another. When life gets hard in any of these areas, Peter's going to call us to humbly submit to this authority for the name of Jesus. Now, he's not calling us to be weak and to be run over, but he is calling us to think about what it is that we want to make number one in our lives. Do we want to make our, um, our name great and we want to justify ourselves? Or are we going to be surrendering to who Christ is and humbly respecting the authority that is over us? So we're going to see four things. And as we get to those four things, then um, I want to close this off by giving us a challenge this morning. All right, let's dive in and see the first of these four things. In 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 13, he says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be for their emperor as supreme or to governors um, as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. Okay, pause. Do you see what's going on there, right? That um, Peter is talking about the governmental system that he's used to. Um, democracy is not one of these things that is normal for him, so he's not arguing you not to have a political opinion. What he is saying is see the emperors, see the kings, and the governors that they place over you. And, um, and as these kings send these governors out, um, they, they punish those who do evil, and they celebrate, praise those who do good these are the people, Peter is saying, that I want you to respect. 
as we look at it in our own terms, I want us to see for us to respect our government's authority. Now, again, this is not, um, not having political opinions. This is just us surrendering to the authority of those who are above us. I mean, our call as followers of Jesus is simple. Be an upstanding citizen. Be above reproach, right? We can think about this as obeying the laws of the land. To be an upstanding citizen, it's probably best for you to drive this speed limit because that's the law of the land, right? Now, I'm preaching the choir here, right? You get me on open road, um, if the speed, like there is some, I know I have some police officer friends in here, forgive me. Um, <laughs> when it says 70, it really means 75, 76, right? I mean, because are you going to pull me over? Now I'm going to get pulled over because of that, because of my friends who are going to be looking for it. Um, but like, I mean, if you're looking for that line as far as what's, what's normal and what's not, you can make all these justifications. But if you're respecting, to your, gover- uh, respecting your government's authority, then you're living a life that, that you're not going to do something intentionally to get in trouble, right? You're, you're always looking to abide by the laws that have been given to you. Don't, don't speed. Okay, I didn't even want that to be an example, but um, <laughs> preaching myself. Um, okay. It, it, there's, there's other things that, um, that we can get in trouble by, by, the, by, by police officers, right? So, I mean, if you're, if you're drinking a drive-in or things like that, like be an upstanding citizen. Okay, something else that, that may be normal for us um, in, our, in our culture, but, but realize that, that if someone else's animal, a cat or dog, comes into your yard and does something that maybe they should do in their own yard, um, you don't have the right to shoot that animal. Um, it's just... It, you can get in trouble for that. Like, don't be that type of neighbor. I mean, if it's my cat that works into your yard, feel free. Like, target practice all day long. That's fine. Um, but normally, that's not something that's acceptable. Be upstanding citizens. I, I'm making jokes, right? But, but, but hopefully you get what I'm saying here. What about the things like a, um, an HOA? Ooh, now I've touched on something personal. Right? If you have an HOA in your neighborhood that says that this is the normal way that our neighborhood's going to operate, don't have a car on the curb, and you're like, that is the stupidest rule that I've ever heard, and I'm going to park my car on the curb. Is that, is that respecting the authority of governmental systems that are over you that can lead you to lose respect with people? I think we need to think about what we choose to justify and what we don't justify when it comes to the rules that are set over us. Okay, verse 15, it says, when you um, respect the government's authority, verse 15, for this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. When you get When people pursue you for unjust things and you're an upstanding citizen, people around you notice. I mean, you hear it in the news all the time. Like, like I know that person and I don't think that person, like that's not the type of person that would do X, Y, or Z. Is that us with the way that we choose to live? Do we put to silence the ignorance of foolish people around us Verse 16, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but live as servants of God. 
So respect the government's authority, all the rules that are put over you. Respect those, not just for the sake of those in leadership positions, absolutely for those people, but also for the people around you, building character, building reputation, reflecting who Jesus is in the very basic types of relationships that we have. Second thing I want us to see, so respect others because what we do matters. The second thing I want us to see is to respect those <clears throat> in leadership above you. This next set of verses, Peter's going to talk about bond servants or talk about slaves and how they relate to their masters. In a time when this is written, masters and slaves were a normal thing. And I'm not justifying any type of slavery nor condoning a biblical talk that, that slavery is a right thing. We need to note, though, that slavery in the first century Judaism was nothing like the way that um, Americans, uh, white people owned Africans in our history. It's totally different. Again, not justifying it, but in the Roman Greco world, uh, slaves tended to be able to work for a wage where they could buy their own freedoms. And I'm not saying, again, that this is right, but, but there's a huge difference in understanding. And so as Peter is talking to these people who are underneath the authority of these people who own them, he's telling them, he's going to tell them to respect their authority. Now, what I want to do is, I don't think it's too far of a stretch for us and being able to apply that to our lives today is to be able to say there are people who are in authority over us that we depend on for our livelihood, right? There are people in leadership over us like our bosses or like our teachers whenever we're at school or, or other people who um, have authority and power over us. If they, if they fire you and you don't have an income anymore, that puts you in a really difficult situation. So, Let's take this idea and apply it to what makes sense to, to us today and see what's being said here. So, um, verse 18. Servants, be subjects to your masters with all respect, not only to the good of the Gentiles, but also, I'm sorry, not only to be, uh, to be good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin you are beaten for that and, and you endure it? But if you do good and suffer for it and you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his footsteps. Okay, living for Jesus, for the name of Jesus in your workplace might actually be a really tricky thing for some of us. And for us to see this, if we surrender and respect the authority that is above us, if we are the types of people who do not cut corners, if we're the type of people who do not push boundaries, if we're the type of people who, who aren't unhealthy or, uh, or disrespectful to those around us, either to their face or behind their backs, if we're the types of people who don't talk about our bosses and our teachers, if we're that type of person and then unjust things come your way because you follow Jesus, 
people around you will be like, well, that's, that's not fair or right. I'm not saying it's going to happen that way every single time, but when we respect our authorities, our leadership around us, people will notice. And uh, it's a gracious thing when we endure unjust punishment that comes our way when we strive to be respectful of leadership above us. And yes, students, I do think that applies to us and our teachers as we live for those people in our world as we want to make a difference. What you do matters. Peter is telling us that for the sake of the gospel, it's important that we respect others and that what we do matters. Third, wives respect your husbands. Now, remember, unpacking cultural understanding as we dive into 1 Peter, women in the first century were, were seen as second-class citizens, or worse. Um, they did not have many rights. Women were uneducated. Women's main priority was to take care of the home, and they were seen as the weaker vessel in the dynamics of the home. And what Peter's going to say here is not condone this position, but what Peter's going to do is to call women to break the perception that, um, that brings them this title of being the weaker vessel. He's going to say, you have power and authority in your own home by the way that you love and pursue Jesus. So let's look at chapter 3, verse 1. Likewise, wives be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respect and pure conduct. So stop there for a second. Wives, especially those who were married to guys who were not followers of Jesus or people who have walked away from, from following Jesus, you have power to change the direction in your home. When your heart erupts for in a deep love for who Jesus is, what you do matters as you reflect Jesus to your spouse. Peter's call for women is to be committed to their spouse so that they could win them over in their deep love for Jesus. Instead of just bailing when things get hard and, and advocate for your own rights and, and what, you, what makes sense to you, you, you stick it out and you continue to pursue and love and reflect Jesus in really difficult things. Peter's going to tell women that not to attempt to flatter their husbands or others by working on their outside appearance, appearance by, by the way that they look, right? But he's going to say, instead of your heart's passion for who Jesus is, work on how you honor, love, and respect your husband. Because when you do that, you're doing it for Christ. Because he has the ability to do things that you can't see and you can't understand, Regardless of the outcome, your love for Jesus and commitment to him is what is seen. Regardless of the outcome, the world around you is going to see that you did all that you could do to love him in the midst of a time when he was absolutely unlovable. Men, don't get too comfortable yet. Peter's going to talk to us. He uses fewer words, but I think he probably saves the strongest punch for us about to tell us as husbands to not screw it up. 
this is the biggest burden I had going into marriage as well as being a father. And as, as I continue to live my life, I, I feel the pressure of messing my kids up. I don't save for college. I save for counseling, right? <laughs> I mean, it's a pressure we have, our God-given right husbands, to be able to build an environment in our home um, that is one of respect and one of trust. I'm just going to simply, well, let me read verse 7 to, for us. In verse 7 it says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the women as the weaker vessel, since they are the heirs with you of grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Husbands, it is your job to pursue your wife. What does your pursuit of her look like? Singles who are in this room who aren't married yet, hear what's going on and, and, and strive for this as we, as we move forward in life and as God ends up um, blessing you with a spouse one day. Know that it is your call to pursue your wife, husbands. Do not lose sight of who she is. Life gets busy and there's lots of distractions but you cannot lose sight of who she is. You cannot stop dating her. You cannot stop pursuing her. And I've said this before in previous sermons, and I mean it. It's some of the hardest things, but it's the most life-giving things. Whenever there's a fight between you, A, know that it is not 100% her fault. And it is not 100% your fault, but you must behave like it's 100% your fault. Yeah, thank you. Not one advocate in the room. When we pursue our wives and we're the ones to initiate and we're the ones who draw them back into a relationship, that's the responsibility God has given us to pursue our wives. They will not feel like the weaker vessel. They will not be the weaker vessel whenever we are the ones pursuing after them. Because one day you'll realize that you will be empty nesters. Do you still know your spouse? Or have you lost sight of what is right in front of you? The, the thing that God has asked you to cultivate the most, the heart of your wife, whenever your kids are gone, are you going to know the person sitting across the table from you anymore? It's so important that we do not, I love my kids and I love all of our kids. Kids have an amazing part in our lives, but they are not primary. Our relationship with God is primary, right? Then our relationship with our spouse is, is right underneath that. How we cultivate that, our kids see that and they grow and they flourish in the midst of that. And the way that we love our kids come from the way that we love our spouses, right? We do not lose sight that one day we will be empty nesters. And men, your day does not end. Your, your, your typical day, your work day, does not end at 5 p.m. There are many of us, and I'm guilty of it as well. We, we may have jobs where we work hard, that we're away from home, and we're mentally exhausted. And I've heard it time and time again that men go home, they want to put their feet up, they want to unwind, they want to relax. This is me time. Let me watch my football. Let me do my thing. And by the way, can I please have some dinner here in a few minutes too? Your day does not end at 5 p.m. Your day begins at 5 p.m. When you get home from work, 
Your job is to pursue your wife, to give her any relief that she may need. Whenever you have young children in the home, it is your job to be able to, when you don't want to, tuck them in, right? When you tuck them in at night, they're going to look at you with the sweetest face, and they're going to say, can you please pray for me? And you're going to remember your day, and you got nothing spiritual inside you. But you got to find the muster and the strength to be able to be with your kids and love your kids and foster your kids' relationship with you, but more importantly, your kids' relationship with God. As you know, just pursue your wife. You're pursuing your kids in this way. You pursue your kids by taking them on dates, knowing them, being the authority figure in their life, but building relationships with them, creating a safe place to be able to be honest in vulnerable conversations. Some of the hardest questions I ask my kid is, how, how am I screwing up? How, how can I be better as a dad? And sometimes they got nothing. They're like, you're great. I'm like, liar. Um, but sometimes they do bring honest stuff. They're like, hey, yeah, whenever this, like, if this could change, things could be better. And, and I hear it, right? I'm cultivating that relationship with my kid. And the hardest part is having those hard conversations. Statistics show that by the time a, a boy is eight years old, he has his first experience with pornography. So what are we going to do with that? Are we going to let the world and culture around us teach our kids about these kinds of things? Or are we going to be the pursuers of their heart in a time that it matters the most and be able to talk about the birds and the bees when that's really uncomfortable? But the more normal we make that conversation, when they get to 14, 15, 16, and you're talking about it still in different types of ways, it becomes more natural because we pursued their heart. Husbands, build an environment of respect and trust what we do matters. As Peter's walked us through, respect um, the, the government officials who are over you. Respect those who are in leadership over you. Um, wives, respect your husbands. Husbands, build an environment of respect and trust. The most basic ways for us to live in a way that glorifies you is where the world around us can say, there's something different in you. There's something different with the way that you choose to live your life. When you go home at night and you continue to pour yourself out and you can come to work, maybe exhausted the next day, but joyous that you have this thing at home that they don't have, absolutely that's going to be attractive to the world around us because we've chosen to respect the most basic honoring things of the, of the people around us. We get to know the culture. We get to know the people. We get to understand where they are, but we get to make important the things that are absolutely important to us. I hope that you picked up on our main point this morning, that what we do absolutely matters. Do people see Jesus in you? Do people see Jesus in me? Do we live a compartmentalized life that we come to this place on Sunday morning and we love to sing about who Jesus is and we celebrate it, but then we go into our work and it's not that we just live a total um, bipolar life where we're someone totally different over here, but maybe we just forget about this because that's what we do over here. But over here, this is where I just do my work and my life things until I go back to church on Sunday. Do we live compartmentally or do we marry these, th these two things together where Jesus says to us, 
he wants to make himself known and declare who he is through the way that we live our lives to the people around us. And it starts with the choices on the most basic things that we do. Are you someone of the utmost respect and character that once you start talking about Jesus, you've bent the ear of people? Do people see Jesus in you? Now here's the real question. Do you see the need for Jesus in the people around you? Metaphorically, as a, as a church, I think we stand over here and we tell the world who's over there, people who don't follow Jesus, hey, come, come. What we got going on is good. I want you to come join me. Is that what, is that what God did? Is that what Jesus did? Last time I read my Bible, Jesus actually left the most comfortable place he was ever in to come as a baby, to be able to live in the most uncomfortable place so that he could pursue other people and go to where they are to say, I'm here in the mess and the muck with you and I want to live as one of you so that I can tell you about how amazing this journey can be if we follow who Jesus is. Do we see people who need Jesus? Are we so far away? Or are we going to where people are and saying, do what you will, God. I'm willing. I don't know what you're doing, but I'm willing. Will you do something through me? Yes, that means putting aside the things that we think may be important, that distract from the beauty of Jesus, just to lead someone to see that, yes, they are a sinner who needs Jesus, just like I'm a sinner who needs Jesus, and that's why I live with so much hope in the midst of all of this muck. That's why I can live and respect all these people around me, even when things are, are disrespect, when those people are unjust and disrespect me. I can do it because it's not about me. It's about the hope that I have in Jesus, and that's me being in exile in your world. Let me tell you about it. We need to go where people are, just as missionaries or in that place in a foreign land, we live in that foreign land. We need, to do, we need to join God in what he is already doing. Are you available to make Jesus known when the world around you sees a different you? All right, I want to close with this personal challenge for us. If you're the person who says, yeah, I, I want to join God and what he's doing. I, I agree with what you're saying, and, and I can see bits and pieces of it. Now, how do we move from where we are to the next place? Well, A, you've got to believe that God's at work, that God's doing something around you. Community life group leaders, you're leading your community life groups and asking these questions because I think they're so important and they're essential, essential for us because we need to live intentionally in the world around us. We've got to stop just drawing people to where we are. We need to go to them and we need to live for them and we need to know how to do that well and apologize when we don't do it well. But it starts first by asking the Holy Spirit to give us the name of one person for you to be praying for. You're not going to save the world. You're not going to save Intel or Nike or your, wherever it is that you work. You're not going to save the whole place. So can you just start with one person? And uh, I don't want to confuse it. Start with one person. 
when God brings a name of a neighbor, when God brings the name of someone you work for, when you, God brings the name of someone who, who you're close to, maybe he's going to bring the name of your own kid or your own spouse, then, then you just invest. But it starts with asking God, all right, God, give me the name of one person. Know that person's not a project. You're not trying to convert that person. Sure, that'd be great if they got to know who Jesus was, but that's not our aim. Our aim is to, see them, is to lead them to see the beauty of who Jesus is. So, Ask the Holy Spirit for the name of one person for you to be praying for. Then begin praying. Praying for specific things. That God would make himself real, make himself known. And, and God, if you choose to use me to do that, then, then please do so. That leads us to the second thing. Pray for wisdom and an opportunity to deepen your relationship in an appropriate way. In 2020, the way evangelism happens is through relationships with one another. We live in this post-Christian world, right, where they just need to see Jesus, and then when we talk about Jesus, they know what we're talking about. We can't just, can't just blindly proclaim. We can. God can do anything he wants, but I'm going to advocate that we're in relationships. So pray for wisdom and opportunities to, to foster that relationship in appropriate ways. And lastly, here's a crazy thing. A lot of times when we pray for stuff, God answers prayers. God, give me an opportunity to talk about you but I really don't want to talk about you, but just, I feel like I should pray that. Well, man, if you pray it, God's going to give you that opportunity. And when he does, pray for boldness and clarity when it's time to talk about him. For some reason, we think we have to have all the answers. Man, I've, I've been a pastor for 20 years. I love the Bible. There's so many questions asked that I'm like, I feel like I need to make up an answer because it's because it, I because I'm experienced, right? I'm the expert, right? I don't want to come across as an idiot, and so uh, I, I, I got to just start looking for something. My wife called me out on this years ago, and I'm like, "Oh, there's something there." It's okay, and it's actually better sometimes whenever we say, "Oh, I, I, don't, I don't know. Well, let me look into that, and, and and I'll get back to you," right? Not having an answer is just good enough. It's great at times. It's actually more authentic. But First Peter also calls us to be ready to give a defense of why you love Jesus. You don't need to defend all the doctrines inside of Scripture. <laughs> There's a lot to know here. But can you defend why you love Jesus? Why you do what you do? Start there. Pray for boldness and clarity. When that opportunity arises, your blood pressure is going to come up. Drop that bomb. See what God does with it. He'll surprise you. It's amazing the way that he does that. And not every time. Sometimes it'll land flat. That's okay too because we're joining God in what he is doing. But we can't sit in these chairs as a world around us is dying without Jesus. Let's live for him, for his name, and for his glory. Let me pray. I want to invite the worship team back up as we going back in singing to this Jesus that we get to live for in our lives. If you're a guest with us this morning, the reason we talk about this, and if you're someone who doesn't know Jesus or follow Jesus, or you're checking Jesus out, and the reason this is important to us is because and Jesus made a difference in our lives. And we know that he is the hope 
in the midst of a dark world, whenever we sin and we struggle, we have hope in him. And we want to invite you into that story as well. Let me pray. God, thank you so much for loving us the way that you do, for using us. Forgive us for focusing on things that we should not focus on and forgetting to focus on the most important thing, and that is just respecting people around us for your namesake and for your glory so that we can be people above reproach, so that we could be people of great character, so that when when things go awry in other people's lives, it's us that they turn to. Help us to build relationships with people well so that we can live for your name's sake. We love you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.